Welcome back, everybody. This is the Things Christians Want to Know podcast, starring Jesus. Yes. Good. With, the, uh, with special guests, Nate Johnstone and Paul Anderson. Hey, Paul. So we were just talking off mic, and we decided we better knock it off and start recording because it's getting into a good conversation. So last week, we talked about the concept of relational Christianity, which is sort of a big concept, and we might bounce around a little bit because it touches on so many different things. But one of the things we talked about was that in the world, in many ways, the ends often justifies the means. We have a goal, we want to get to the goal. And if you maybe mistreat an employee along the way, I don't mean illegally, I mean like you just burn them out. That's okay, because your, your company has a goal and you got to get there. And Jesus's way is the opposite of that. The means are the point. <laughs> we have an end, we have goals, but the way we get there is everything. Um, and Paul, you, you have a verse you wanted to bring up on that regard. Yeah. John, who was called the apostle of love, and his words were distilled over, over an, uh, perhaps a 90-year period. Uh, some think he was that age uh, when he died, and he wrote a lot about truth and a lot about love, and he said some remarkable things. He said that the horizontal determines the vertical. In other words, I can say I love God, but if I can't prove it, in my relationships with other people. If I don't love them and I love God, I really don't love God. You cannot say that you love God if you don't love your brother. I wouldn't have said it that strong. That's really strong. That's really, really And, and this is John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, <laughs> the apostle of love. He wrote roughly 25% of the New Testament. And he is saying, if you don't love your fellow Christian, and by that, he doesn't mean an emotion. He means an act, action. If you don't actively show love to them, I doubt whether you even love God. Mm -hmm. Ugh, man. I, I, pastors these days would get tarred and feathered for that sort of thing. I mean, you don't say that to a congregation. Um, and he does. And it's like, whoa. It's, it's convicting. I'm going to use an example Hopefully it'll be okay. <laughs> so there, there is a segment of evangelicalism with a small E. Okay. That includes a lot of us, including myself. There is a segment of us inclusive language here that values correctness and truth above anything else, sometimes including people. And I have known Christians who are very proud of this, themselves that they can tell you anything you want to know about doctrine because they have their, you know, fully outlined theology in black and white. And they believe that being right makes them more better, makes them better. They're very happy to be right about everything, but they don't show any love to people. They're cruel even sometimes. And I really struggle with it. And I think it's because of what John is getting at here. 
in his epistle of first John that look, and th- it's the same exact problem as the Pharisees. Okay. And I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm a yeah. recovering Pharisee. I'm one of those people I'm talking about right now. I used to be that way. Mm-hmm. Being right was the most important thing to me. And as long as I was right, I didn't care what you thought. I didn't care what you felt. I didn't care about any. Nope. I'm right. You're wrong. Without love, I'm nothing. If you are correct, but you don't show love, you're wrong. And this is what the Pharisees never understood. But we're right. If you don't have love, you're always wrong. Always wrong. Even if you're correct, you might have got all the right answers on the test, but you're going to fail life because you don't show love. And they were conservatives. They were not liberals. They weren't the Sadducees. So Jesus went after them more because they were closer to the truth, Mm -hmm. but they failed to live it. They knew it in their heads, and they had the right doctrine, and they thought doctrine is what God wanted. And Jesus showed them that they were absolutely wrong. And that's, that's what I thought, too. I thought that as long as I was right about everything and lived rightly in my own self, me and God, it's just me and God, very American, right? (laughs) Very American. It's just me and God. As long as that's good, we're fine. But the way I treated other people, particularly people who were wrong, I treated them unlovingly. Okay, here's an illustration. And I was wrong. You were wrong. Even though I was correct, I was wrong because I didn't love them. You know Martin's Irby. Yes. He went to a debate between a Christian and an atheist. I said, how did it go? And he said, the Christian won the debate. But as as far as I'm concerned, he lost because he was not kind Mm. or humble. Mm. Someone once went up to Ravi Zacharias, bless his memory, bless Mm -hmm. because he died just recently and went to heaven. Uh, They heard him at UCLA and they went up to him afterwards and they said, I didn't agree with everything I heard, but I stayed to listen because you were gentle. Mm. Which is seldom the case in an intellectual debate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That, see, that is a testimony of what we're talking about. Exactly. Relational Christianity, the, the, way that Jesus set things up, as I am putting forth, okay? I believe this is the Jesus way of doing things. The relationship comes first. And even in the way that Jesus interacted with his disciples, I mean, think about it. He spent most of his time just with those guys. The 12, well, you know, you got John, and then you got the three, and then you got the 12, and then you got the, you know, 72-ish, and then you had probably about 140, 150 people, um, a lot of women in there, a lot of people who probably came to join him when he was closer to town and that sort of thing. But, but the 12. And then the 500. And then the 500, eventually, yeah, by the, by the ascension. And so, and probably Palm Sunday, too. And you've got the 12, though, that they got most of his time. If it was today and we were in charge of doing what Jesus did, which we are, right? <laughs> we're, we're in charge of continuing that. Most, I won't say most, many leaders, pastors, preachers I know would always choose the giant crowd to preach in front of. Always choose the giant crowd. 
every week, every time, because in their minds, the more people that hear me, the more influence I have, the more people who can, you know, come to faith, come to understanding truth, whatever it is, right? I'm not saying that's bad, but that's not what Jesus did. He did crowds, but it was pretty infrequently that he did giant crowds. Mm-hmm. He spent most of his time with a few folks. And, and one I of them feel like we should look more closely <laughs> at how he did things because it's know. probably a little important. Jesus could have gotten crowds every day. You know, heal a couple more blind people. Everybody will come to see what's going on, right? He could have got the crowds every day. And he chose not to. He didn't do it. He spent most of his time with a smaller group of people discipling them, training them, and raising them up. And I wonder if the way we do things in the church in America today isn't a little bit off. Because many people I know would choose the crowds. Do. They do choose the crowd over the few. Just makes me wonder. John John got the message. He, He imbibed that message that Jesus gave to his Mm -hmm. disciples, and uh, listen to what he says in 1 John 4. He wrote that if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is his command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So uh, by application, if we want to know God's presence more in our lives, it comes more through relationship than through worship. Yep. If we that, which is that's love, not the that's not the way most of us do it. No. He, he says also in that same chapter, if we love one another, God lives in us, and as his love is made complete in us. So, so, like I said last week, to strengthen your worship life, make sure that you're dealing with your relationships. And if relationships are out of order, that is a priority that we need as leaders, as pastors, you and I, Nate, and other who are leaders, we need to take relationships that are out of whack seriously and do whatever we can because it's going to impact our worship life. It's really true. And this is, again, this is flip. This flips the way the, way the world does things. And I think some of what we do in the church is more the way the world does it than the way Jesus is doing it. And that that concerns me. It challenges me. And, you know, the Apostle John, by the way, lived this. He was a discipler. He focused on people. John is actually the most famous of the original 11. He's the most famous discipler of the bunch. Paul did a really good job as well. But of the original 11, because John discipled both Polycarp and Ignatius, two two of them biggest leaders of that next generation. And Polycarp then discipled Arrhenius, possibly the biggest leader of his generation. And he discipled Hippolytus, who is one of the biggest leaders in the early church. Wow. Direct, direct lineage there. Okay. I didn't know any of that. And it's, as far as the early church fathers go, 
most of the big names are directly linked to the Apostle John. So he really gets this. He gets that people are more important. And that means that he invested a lot of his time into those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people think that John actually, um, he discipled both uh, Ignatius and Polycarp, but after John passed away, then Polycarp stayed with Ignatius and kind of went under him as a, as a disciple, so to speak. And so when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, he meant that quite literally. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. they took discipleship seriously. They took people seriously. And I'm not saying you don't see Paul preaching in the streets. Okay, that kind of stuff happens too. But most of the time, as I read the New Testament, I'm seeing less of the big public spectacle stuff and more of the, so they met in Lydia's home and they broke bread and they fellowshiped with one another, you know, and in Acts forward. They, they, they hung out together and they had things in common and they helped them, each other. And if anybody had a need, their need was met. And the relationships always come first. Mm-hmm. But, but don't we have the gospel to spread? Yes. And that's how you do it. <laughs> you and you spread that, the gospel through loving each other. That is the incredible thing, too. What you just said, uh, John, again, he writes in his gospel, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And listen to this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So according to Jesus, one of the most effective ways to show people the nature of Christ is to love our brothers. That's right. It's not how many people did you talk to Jesus about this week or how big is your church? or fill in the blank for all the, all the things that we keep track of that we think means you've got a good resume, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying there should be at least one thing on your resume. <laughs> if it's going to be counted as good, it has to have one thing, that you were really good at loving each other. And we would have, we, you and I both probably would have at some point said, well, our doctrine is probably most important. And yeah. that's what a lot of churches would say our doctrine is, but it's not our doctrine that convinces people. In fact, it's often our doctrine that keeps them away because our That's doctrine what I was say, is different yeah. from the one down the street. That church has a different doctrine. So if our focus is primarily on doctrine and, that, and we're sacrificing loving one another, according to John, according to Jesus, we're losing something. That is so important. I want to stay on that for a minute. Now, for those of you who don't know Paul and I real well, doctrine is really important for us. Paul and I agree on the vast majority of things. There are a couple that we don't. And usually once or twice a year, we'll sort of try to sway the other person to (laughs) our our point of view. But on most things, we agree. And doctrine is really important to us. We have have spoken out about it. Paul has spoken out a lot about uh, leaving a certain denomination a number of years ago because their doctrine was getting worse and worse and worse and has continued to get worse and worse. And so this is important for us. We are not saying that doctrine is not important. We're saying as important as doctrine and truth are, loving is actually more important. And this point is proven in scripture over and over and over and over again. And here's a practical example of that. So doctrine is important, right? So you're in a church, 
or a small group, whatever it is, that, where doctrine is really important. The problem with that being primacy of place is that what if there's someone that has a different doctrine in your church? What do you do? Are you really going to be able to love them just as well if they're wrong, if they're in heresy, if, if they're in debt, whatever you want to term you want to use, right? It's going to be a lot harder to love them. It's going to be a lot harder for people who come into your church to enter into what's happening. Because when doctrine is primary, it's basically saying, you may become a part of this body if you believe these things. If not, you may not become a part of this body. And that is not a church. That is a club. That is a club of like-minded people. It's not a church. And you may challenge me on that point, and I'd be happy to discuss it. A church reaches out, welcomes other people, and brings people along wherever they are at. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus does to all of us. And so we need to keep the doctrine, and there needs to be people in every church who are the gatekeepers of that doctrine. And that's very important. But giving people a, a doctrinal test before they can join the church and making sure they sign on to everything, you're going to have a really nice club of everybody who agrees, and good for you. But I would argue it's not a church mm -hmm. because there's nothing, it's not relational. Love has to come first. And just look at everything Jesus said to the Pharisees. You guys are right about everything and you're missing it all. <laughs> it's so frustrating to and Jesus. As we, as we say this, just please understand that we love the word of God. Absolutely. We value it. We've memorized big portions of it because we love the word of God and we meditate on its truth. So we're not saying that that's uh, not central. Uh, truth, truth must be held with love. Paul, uh, uh, John gives us both. The light and the love are two themes in 1 John. But he says, if you hold this up and you do not have the truth, the, the love to stand with it, this is going to become distorted. It will be distorted, just like it was with the idolatry, who yeah, were the exactly. conservatives. They were closest to the truth, and therefore, the ones that Jesus went after the most, because they would lead the people astray more than the others, because their life didn't match it, and their love didn't match it. Agreed. And, and I, it's sad because I see it so often in the church these days. I, in college, I became so disillusioned by this that I actually got to the point where I was like, I think the church is dead. Like, I think the modern structure of the church is irredeemably flawed and we need to reboot and do something new. And then God got me to repent of that and realize there was some hurt, some of my own issues mixed in with that stuff. Sure. And that's another thing that seminary helped me with, was to talk about the importance of the congregation and the life of the congregation in the wider body of the church. Yeah. I, was, I was pretty anti-congregational before, mm. <laughs> before I went to MI. Um, in fact, there was a question on the, on the application about, talk about the importance of the congregation in the church. And I was like, ooh, I don't know how to answer this. Because <laughs> I, think, I think I know what they want, and I don't know that I agree. So I answered it honestly, and I hope for the best. Um, this, it's a big issue. It's a big issue. Doctrine is really important, but if we don't put relationship with God foremost above doctrine, and if we don't put relationships with others and love on the same area as doctrine, we're not saying, we're not saying compromise your belief not at all. in order to show love. 
We're not saying that. And so we're not saying that if someone comes to you and says, you know, I don't know how bad of an example to pick. Um, you know, I like um, breaking this law. Pick a law. I, I, it doesn't hurt anybody else. I like breaking this law. Okay. Um, we don't say, that's okay. We love you. So it's okay if you break that law. That's not a big deal. You know, no, it's not okay that you break, that you drive 100 miles an hour when no one's around or something like that. We don't say, you know, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I really still like to sleep with my girlfriend who I'm not married to. And so we don't respond to that and say, that's okay, because it's not okay. The Bible is clear that that's not okay. So we don't say it's okay. We don't compromise our doctrine in order to love, but we do love them anyway, and we don't boot them out of fellowship because they don't toe the line. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, we want to walk with them, and hopefully they walk into the truth, as long yeah. as they're willing to walk with us. We, we point yeah. them towards Jesus, mm -hmm. and we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to convict them when, when the time is right. But there's, there's been too many places and too many churches, I think, that find out, oh, you're sleeping with your girlfriend? Well, you got to stop that now, or you can't be a part of this church. They're the ones that need the church. That's the guy who needs the church more than the people who said that to him, mm -hmm. right? Jesus came for, not for the healthy, but for the sick. And so we need to love and come around the people who are still on their way. And I'm not talking about just about non-Christians. I'm talking about Christians who haven't started living the truth yet, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so it's important that those of us for whom doctrine is really important, that we, that we hold the relationship and the love in the other hand, I don't know if I'd say equally as high, a little more high. The problem is other people will say, no, the love is way more important. And then they drop the doctrine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like a That's scale true. and it's either one or the other. And you either hold doctrine and you don't love anybody or you love everybody. And then doctrine, ah, whatever, we love you. And it, th those are both bad. Those and are that's why John, John in his letter, God is love, God is light, and both, both stand together. Light is the truth, that's what revealed is, and uh, you, you hold those two together, and you love God, he loves you. And there can be some tension there. Yeah. Is yeah. this one of those love moments, or is this one of those truth moments? And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, <laughs> to help us out in making those decisions. So this can be difficult stuff, and it's tough, but it, if we don't have love, it, it really all amounts to nothing. We need to understand that the means is more important than the ends. I love what one church did as they were uh, studying different heresies and they were studying the Mormon church. Rather than just attacking the Mormon church, all of them in this Bible study, about 30, they thought of people they knew in the Mormon church, uh, people that were friends that they had met or neighbors, and they prayed for them so that the purpose of this wasn't to attack a doctrine, but to engage, to connect. In fact, I wrote an article once about, what did I call it? Uh, 
values in the new age movement. Hmm. And I said, they love, um, oh goodness. What, uh, what did I, I can't remember now. I wrote it. But it was complimentary, you're saying. Yes, yes. I said positive things about people in the new age movement. What I had observed, that they meditated, that they were, there was a discipline there, there was a softness, there was a kindness, there was an ability to connect with other people. I wrote this and I was paid for the article and they said, we're not going to publish it. And I said, why not? Uh, because it, it was a Christian magazine because people would not understand it. And I was sad for that because I wrote it for the very purpose yeah. of helping them to engage positively with new age people. But they were saying it's too challenging for our readership. They, 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 they would prob probably misunderstand it and they get a lot of letters to the editor. What are, what are you saying now? Are, are, mm -hmm. you, are you moving into new age theology? Yeah. And of course I wasn't. I was just saying that we, we want to engage. Think more of Paul. Listen to what he said. I have become all, all things, things to, all people. to all people. That is understanding of the, the method behind the message. The yep. message doesn't change, right, folks? The method must change depending upon who we're trying to reach. To a Jew became a Jew. To those under the law became as one under the law. To those outside the law became outside. To the weak I became weak. Talk about uh, his ability to change for the yep. sake of the gospel. And that's what love does. I'm, a, I'm preaching now again. Everyone's you know what? I'll allow it. I like it. Preach. And I actually, I have, I have a very similar experience when it comes to Mormonism. I didn't understand it. So I just was like, they're crazy, you know? And then in the Air Force, we met a number of Mormon families, a lot of Mormons in the military. Um, the lifestyle is just conducive with, with their family lifestyle. And man, was I convicted. Mm. Not that the Mormons had truth because... They, there's a lot of horrible distortion within Mormonism, but there are all, some people might not like this, <laughs> kind of like your article, Paul. There are some people in the Mormon church that I think are saved because I believe it. they don't know enough <laughs> of the bad stuff. Like they don't believe, you know, Jesus and Satan are brothers and, you know, whatever. Like they don't believe that stuff. They're just like, like, because I've asked Mormons. I'm like, well, what do you believe? Well, we believe that, you know, God sent Jesus, his son, to die for our sins and, and, and atone for that. And, like, they would go on and on. And I'd be like, that, that's all good and right. Now, you talk to another Mormon, they're like, well, actually, we believe this and this and this. And you're like, Ew. One of those may be down the street from us, Nate. Yeah. I think, I think we may have, uh, uh, she, it, she talks like she may be saved. Mm -hmm. I'd like to pray here because... Uh, well, and I, I just want to add to the end of that story. Sorry to interrupt, but um, through the relationships that we had with these people, I was very convicted, not that my theology was wrong, my theology didn't change, but my love for Mormon people changed because I saw that they are just as good, if not better than many Christians I know about a lot of things. Mm. These people, multiple families now, yeah. they, they were excellent parents. 
Mm. They loved their kids in a way that I have rarely seen people love their kids. Mm. They loved other people. They sacrificed their time, their money for other people who weren't Mormon. Mm in a greater way than I have often seen in the church. These people had a lot going. And I used to think about Cornelius, who God sent Peter to. God saw Cornelius and he said, this guy, he's given to the poor. He's, he's doing such incredible things. I want him to be saved so bad. <laughs> and God sent Peter, of all people, <laughs> yeah, who is the most racist person in the tribe at that point against Romans, right? He, you know, surprised he didn't cut the dude's ear off. But, but he sends Peter because God is like, I need this guy saved. He, ha he is so awesome. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit wasn't working in Cornelius's life to make him that way. He was. I absolutely believe that. It is God's grace. But, but I thought of that often when, when with these Mormon friends. And it was like, hmm, you know, I don't know if they're saved or not, but I want them to be. And so it, my heart changed from eh, either disregard or contempt to, oh, I pray for the Mormon church. I pray for them regularly. I would love God to do a miracle and for the prophet, who's the guy in charge of the Mormon church, to say, we were wrong on a bunch of stuff. And this is the way it is. And them to just all get saved. I think that'd be the coolest thing ever. And I, I, I pray for that literal thing. Some people would say that's crazy and impossible, but you know, my God tends to do crazy and impossible things. It's almost like he likes it. So I'm going to keep praying for the whole Mormon church to get saved and for Islam to get saved too and come to Jesus. Why not? Why not? I agree. I'm with you. Great story, Nate. You pray. I will. Father God, we confess the times when we have chosen rightness, correctness over love. Mm -hmm. I think we've all done it. We've all done it. And we confess that and we ask you, well, we thank you for your forgiveness, but we ask you to help us as we walk forward now to remember the primacy of love, to remember that no matter what we do, sacrifice or achieve, if we don't do it in love, we attain nothing. We gain nothing for you and nothing for us. Help us to remember that, Lord. And send some people into our life to challenge us. Send us a, a, a really kind, loving Muslim person to challenge our feelings towards them, our desire to pray for them and love them and help them. A lot of people need to see it Lord, so I pray that you would bring some people into our lives. Not saying to challenge our theology, but to challenge our love. I pray that you would increase our capacity to love other people. I pray that you would fill us, Lord, with so much of your love that we just have that ability to love others more. Because it's not in and of ourselves that we do this. It's only with your love that we can love them. So help us to get better at receiving you so that we can give it out. In Jesus' name, amen. And we will see you next week. I think we're going to keep talking about this topic of relational Christianity. This is interesting stuff, at least for us. If nobody else cares, Paul and I are having a good time. So we're going to keep going.
All right. See you next week. God bless. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday. So tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.